Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey guys, welcome to God's Whole Story. Uh, My name is Ryan. I'm here again with Andrea. Hey guys. Uh, And we are getting into 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 4 today. Uh, So Andrea, as we read over this thing, what, what stuck out to you the most as we were reading? Honestly, um, well, besides the fact that Eli's death is very crazy. Poor Eli. <laughs> I just, every time I read over that, I think, man, how crazy is that to be recorded in the Bible of how he died by breaking his neck and, and just be, stating that being he was overweight. overweight. I, I just, how many, how many uh, millions of people have read the Bible know, and are like, like well, wow. what Eli? He could have done better, honestly. Maybe like Eli. less McDonald's <laughs> and more jogging. Yeah, so nonetheless, I just, every time I read that, I'm like, wow, that's, what a death. Um, But pretty much realizing that um, Samuel kind of becomes like in verse, I think I'm a little ahead of myself. But Samuel pretty much is the judge, the king, the prophet of these people. He has pretty much a a big impact on the people of Israel. Um, And... Even so, they they don't ever seem to want to heed to what he says and tells them. Um, so to me, it's just like, wow, Samuel's has such a big impact. He's been appointed by God himself, and yet the people just don't don't really recognize and, and know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also with the the ark, thinking about the the Philistines. Like how, how they, you think they would have got it in their minds. Like, oh, this is a holy God. This is a God that we can't, you know, um, mess with. It's not like other gods, but yet they, they thought that doing their own kind of version of their sacrifices to him um, would kind of deter, you know, God's wrath. And it's like, Mm -hmm. he's not the same. Mm -hmm. He's not the same um, as their, you know, supposed gods that, um, their perception was completely like warped in thinking that they could compare and do the same things that they do with their idols um, to our God. And and it just did not go well for them. The thing I love most about that particular story, so they, they steal the ark, they stick the ark in like one of their cities, all these people get tumors. Um, the ark actually, like God forces their gods to worship him, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So they, they store the ark in this temple and the, the Dagon is the name of the God, yeah. falls face down in front of the ark every time. Um, actually leaving like this legacy because they're not allowed to step on the door the door frames anymore because mm-hmm. his face fell on the door frame. Yeah. Um, but I love that there's, there's no one, there's no prophet, there's no judge, there's no king, like in that moment, God is actually just glorifying himself, mm-hmm. requiring no one mm-hmm. um, to, like, supernaturally reveal himself to these people. Yeah. And, and it, like, everybody gets sick in this one town. They move to the next town. Yeah. Same thing happens. Same thing happens. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just very cool to me how God glorifies himself, and, and they notice it. And they're afraid. Yeah. Um, and they, they want to get this thing out of here. Yeah. Um, but also, when they finally return the ark to Israel— God even judges the Israelites who are treating and interacting with the ark in a way that he has told them not to. Um, So some people die by trying to look inside of it. Mm -hmm. Um, They are supposed to treat it in this like holy way. um, And they don't. And they get judged for that. And finally, it finds its way back to where it belongs. Yeah. It's like they had some sort of spiritual amnesia. (laughs) They do. (laughs) Consistently over and over and over again. They they. 
they somehow kind of like meshed their um, ideas with um, the idols, you know, the, of the Philistines. And, yep. and they like meshed their beliefs and their faith with that. And it's like, no, God has to constantly bring them back and say, no, I am yep. your God. And there's no God like me. Um so I don't know. They they I think they just get that amnesia, yep. <laughs> spiritual amnesia is yep. what I call it, to kind of like you know think that they could do things like the other nations, and it's like no, you're supposed to be the example. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's funny the picture we get of these idols as well. So uh, Chris was talking the other day about how Baal, like they've they've been worshiping Baal a lot. Mm-hmm. Baal himself or the idol of Baal is like a two to three inch tall mm-hmm. stone thing. Yeah. Um, here we get Dagon. He's just like this carved out thing that just keeps falling down yeah. and breaking. And it's like, <laughs> like you can't can. do anything. Yeah. 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 They're just, even in the scripture somewhere, it says that they're useless. Yep. They're, they're pretty much just images that, that can do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So speaking of worthless images, um, they like basically the Israelites call out for victory over the Philistines. They're like terrified of the Philistines. They need to be delivered. Uh, Samuel has this relationship with the Lord where he can call out for help Mm -hmm. and the Lord hears him and delivers them. Um, In 1 Samuel 7, we get get this line. It's uh, 1 Samuel 7, verse 4. So the Israelites got rid of all their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshiped only the Lord. Now, this is just one short little blip of where they actually do the right thing. But what's interesting is if you've been listening or if you've been reading along, um, it was all the way back in Joshua chapter 24, where Joshua says, you need to decide today who you're going to mm-hmm. serve and you need yeah. to put all these idols behind you. And they don't. Yeah. So these idols have been with them um, since before Joshua 24. Um, and it's only now that we get a short glimpse of yeah. them actually trying to turn away from these idols. These idols have begun starting to realize. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, They've been such a part of their regular culture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that it's only now. And this is, this is years and years and years after Joshua. Yeah. Because there's been several judges in between. Mm -hmm. Um, They're finally starting to turn towards the Lord, but it doesn't actually seem to stick (laughs) because it's not long after they get rid of their idols that they want a a king. It's actually like, they just want a new idol. Pretty much. And (laughs) I always say it's like this vicious cycle. It's horrible. It continues. Like you get it for a little bit and then you're like, oh, wait, no. And you you kind of mesh with culture again. It's it's the same thing today where, you know, we're like, oh, God, we worship you. God, you know, there's none like you. But then we kind of get sidetracked and we mesh with the culture. And it's like, wait a second. I'm actually supposed to be set apart Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's the same with the Israelites as, as it is with our culture today where we always are constantly forgetting and God has to constantly remind us, you know, I'm your God. Mm-hmm. There's none like me. I'm powerful. Um, yeah. So they have this awesome promise from God to lead them. Mm-hmm. Like God, they are, they are not supposed to have a king because they are supposed to follow God as their king. And they're like, yeah, we're actually not into that. Like, yeah. could you actually just give us a king? And so Sam- yeah. Samuel hears this and he's like, ah, oh, that's, that is not good. That not is good not idea. what we're supposed to do. Yep. And God is like, Hey, they gave up on me. Go ahead and give him a king. Now, this is interesting to me because 
even though they're not supposed to have a king, uh, back in Deuteronomy 17, God actually lays out laws for a king. Mm-hmm. And so God understands that these people are going to come to a place where they want a king. And mm-hmm. so if they're going to have a king, this is who he should be and how he should act. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see how this plays out. Yeah. Um, but if you if you want to, like for extra credit today, go back and check over Deuteronomy 17 of what a king is supposed to look like even though they're not even supposed to go after one in the first place, which I have a lot of questions about that. Like if they weren't supposed to have a yeah. king, why did God set up rules for what it could be like? I yeah. don't know. Um, but spoiler alert, they're not even going to follow these rules. So <laughs> none. <laughs> uh, we are going to, we are going to see how this plays out uh, tomorrow. So I hope you, I hope you're sticking with us and I hope you listen in tomorrow. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Today we're reading from 1 Samuel, starting in chapter 4, verse 12. A man from the tribe of Benjamin ran from the battlefield and arrived at Shiloh later that same day. He had torn his clothes and put dust on his head to show his grief. Eli was waiting beside the road to hear the news of the battle, for his heart trembled for the safety of the Ark of God. When the messenger arrived and told what had happened, an outcry resounded throughout the town. What is all the noise about? Eli asked. The messenger rushed over to Eli, who was 98 years old and blind. He said to Eli, I have just come from the battlefield. I was there this very day. What happened, my son? Eli demanded. Israel has been defeated by the Philistines, the messenger replied. The people have been slaughtered, and your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed, and the Ark of God has been captured. When the messenger mentioned what had happened to the Ark of God, Eli fell backward from his seat beside the gate. He broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and near the time of delivery. When she heard that the Ark of God had been captured and that her father-in-law and husband were dead, she went into labor and gave birth. She died in childbirth, but before she passed away, the midwives tried to encourage her. Don't be afraid, they said. You have a baby boy. But she did not answer or pay attention to them. She named the child Ichabod, which means, where is the glory? For she said, Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. After the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they took it from the battleground at Ebenezer to the town of Ashdod. They carried the Ark of God into the temple of Dagon and placed it beside an idol of Dagon. But when the citizens of Ashdod went in to see it the next morning, Dagon had fallen with his face to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him in place again. But the next morning, the same thing happened. Dagon had fallen face down before the Ark of the Lord again. This time, his head and hands had broken off, and they were lying in the doorway. Only the trunk of his body was left intact. That is why, to this day, neither the priests of Dagon nor anyone who enters the temple of Dagon in Ashdod will step on its threshold. Then the Lord's heavy hand struck the people of Ashdod and the nearby villages with a plague of tumors. When the people realized what was happening, they cried out, We can't keep the ark of the God of Israel here any longer. He is against us. We will all be destroyed along with Dagon our God. So they called together the rulers of the Philistine towns and asked, What should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? The rulers discussed it and replied, Move it to the town of Gath. So they moved the ark of God of Israel to Gath. But when the ark arrived at Gath, the Lord's heavy hand fell on its men, young and old. He struck them with a plague of tumors, and there was a great panic. 
So they sent the Ark of God to the town of Ekron. But when the people of Ekron saw it coming, they cried out, They are bringing the Ark of God of Israel here to kill us, too. The people summoned the Philistine rulers again and begged them, Please send the Ark of God of Israel back to its own country, or it will kill us all. For the deadly plague from God had already begun, and great fear was sweeping across the town. Those who didn't die were afflicted with tumors, and the cry from the town rose to heaven. The ark of the Lord remained in Philistine territory seven months in all. When the Philistines called in their priests and diviners and asked them, What should we do about the ark of the Lord? Tell us how to return it to its own country. Send the ark of God of Israel back with a gift, they were told. Send a guilt offering so the plague will stop. Then if you are healed, you will know it was his hand that caused the plague. What sort of guilt offering should we send, they asked. And they were told, Since the plague has struck both you and your five rulers, make five gold tumors and five gold rats, just like those that have ravaged your land. Make these things to show honor to the God of Israel. Perhaps then he will stop afflicting you, your gods, and your land. Don't be stubborn and rebellious as Pharaoh and the Egyptians were. By the time God has finished with them, they were eager to let Israel go. Now build a new cart and find two cows that have just given birth to calves. Make sure the cows have never been yoked to a cart. Hitch the cows to the cart, but shut their calves away from them in a pen. Put the ark of the Lord on the cart, and beside it place a chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors you are sending as a guilt offering. Then let the cows go wherever they want. If they cross the border of our land and go to Beth Shemesh, we will know it was the Lord who brought this great disaster upon us. If they don't, we will know it was not his hand that caused the plague. It came simply by chance. So these instructions were carried out. Two cows were hitched to the cart, and their newborn calves were shut up in a pen. Then the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors were placed on the cart. And sure enough, without veering off in other directions, the cows went straight along the road toward Beth Shemesh, lowing as they went. The Philistine rulers followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. The people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting wheat in the valley, and when they saw the ark, they were overjoyed. The cart came into the field of a man named Joshua and stopped beside a large rock. So the people broke up the wood of the cart for a fire and killed the cows and sacrificed them to the Lord as a burnt offering. Several men of the tribe of Levi lifted the ark of the Lord and the chest containing the gold rats and gold tumors from the cart and placed them on the large rock. Many sacrifices and burnt offerings were offered to the Lord that day by the people of Beth Shemesh. The five Philistine rulers watched all this and then returned to Ekron that same day. The five gold tumors sent by the Philistines as a guilt offering to the Lord were gifts from the rulers of Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The villages, which were controlled by the five rulers, the large rock at Beth Shemesh, where they set the Ark of the Lord, still stands in the field of Joshua as a witness to what happened there. But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord, and the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Who is able to stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God, they cried out. Where can we send the ark from here? So they sent messengers to the people of kirath Jerim and told them, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come here and get it. So the men of kiriath Jiriam came to the Ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. The Ark remained in kiriath Jiriam for a long time, 20 years in all. 
During the time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth, and they worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in a great ceremony, drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below beth Car, slaughtering them along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshanah. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help, for he said, Up to this point the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. The Israelite villages near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel, along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. Each year he traveled around, setting up his court first at Bethel, then at Gilgal, and then at Mizpah. He judged the people of Israel at each of these places. Then he would return to his home at Ramah, and he would hear cases there too. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah. As Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. Joel and Abinijah, his oldest sons, held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. Finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old, and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods, and now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will rule over them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops, and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest 
and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks, and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed and sent the people home. Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, It means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's Word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, If you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, We would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, You can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcast at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you, and if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.